Good morning. I want to welcome you to Capital City. We're glad to see you today. Glad you've taken time to join us. Uh, if you're in person, we're glad you're here. If you're watching online, glad you've chosen to join us wherever you may be uh, online watching us this morning. Well, Big B, when you believe in God, but. A man was out jogging one day and slipped and fell off the edge of a cliff. Grabbing a hold of a branch on the way down, he found himself stranded and began to scream for help. Help! Help! Is there anyone who can hear me? Help! Now, this went on for hours, and just as he was about ready to give up, he heard a voice call out, Yes, yes, I can hear you, and I can see you. Are you all right? To which the man replied, Yes, but, but who are you, and where are you? The voice called back, I am the Lord, and I am everywhere. The Lord, the man said, you mean like God? That's me, the voice replied back. God, please help me, the man called out. I promise that if you get me down from here, I'll stop sinning. I'll, I'll be a really good person, and I'll serve you the rest of my life. <laughs> Easy on the promises there, big boy, God replied back. First, let's get you down, and then we can discuss all of those other things that you mentioned. I'll do anything. Lord, just tell me what to do. The man said, okay, ready? Let go of the branch. What? I said, let go of the branch. Just trust me. Let go. There was a long pause of silence as the man tried to look and see what was below him. After a few more moments, the man cried out, help, is there anyone else up there? Well, Bigby, when you believe in God, but. You know, it's hard to believe that we've been in this series for two months, and then again, maybe there are some of you here who are like, if they say, well, Bigby, one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. But you do have to admit it was kind of catchy, right? Well, Bigby. Come on, say it with me. Well, Bigby. Now, if by chance this is your first time joining us since we started this series, what all of this well, Bigby has been about comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we find that sermon in Matthew's letter that is the first book in the New Testament. It's called the Gospel of Matthew, and it gives us some wonderful information about Jesus from his birth, through his life, through his crucifixion, and then his final words to his followers about going and making more followers. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. If you want to look that up as we get going, if you've got your Bible or if you've got your phone, you want to bring it up on your app, do so. But you see, the Sermon on the Mount is an awesome message that Jesus shares with his followers as he encourages them to live different lives from those all around them. And that's what our focus has been in this series, that as disciples, as followers of Christ, we're called to live different from the world. Now, during this series we've looked at some different things. We've looked at when you believe in God, but don't believe you need Him. When you believe in God, but you're not really good. When you don't share your faith. When you have an angry heart. When you lust in your heart. When you can't control your mouth. When you don't give. When you don't pray. And today we wrap up Wabigby. When you believe in God, but don't trust him. Trust can be a huge challenge for a lot of us because of things that we have been through in our lives. And unfortunately, it seems to be a really big challenge for us 
when it comes to God. You know, every time we pull currency out of our pocket or our purse, we see these words stamped on a coin or on the dollar bill, in God we trust. And yet, I often wonder, do we? You know, trusting God is much easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, if we're willing to be honest about it, many of us trust Him with some parts of our life. Many of us trust Him some of the time. But trusting Him with all of our lives? <laughs> now, that might be asking just a bit too much. The writer of Proverbs, Solomon, who happened to be one of the wisest men, shared these words with us in Proverbs chapter 3. He said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. The word trust that Solomon speaks of in this chapter refers to the idea of putting all of your weight onto something. When you start up a ladder, you're trusting it by putting all of your weight on it. Anybody ever stop and look at the weight rating on a ladder before climbing on it? <laughs> I'm guessing probably not. Because we trust that that ladder is going to hold the weight that we're going to put on it. And that's what Solomon is encouraging us to do here in this verse. Trust in the Lord. Put all of your weight on him. And what are we to do it with? All of our heart. Not some of it, not a portion of it, but all of it. You see, partially trusting in something isn't going to get you very far, is it? If you're partially trusting in something, you're also doing what? Partially doubting, right? Now, I don't have any weddings to officiate on my calendar for the rest of 2021. But if you were a bride or a groom, and I was getting ready to do your wedding, and you only partially trusted the person you were supposed to be marrying, would you want to go through with it? Would you want me to be encouraging you to go through with it? Half-hearted trust usually leads to what? Doubt, right? And doubt usually leads to worry and anxiety. You know, one of the big reasons we have trust issues is because we worry. Is anyone here willing to admit that they worry too much in their life? Hmm. Maybe I should have preached on when you believe in God but are willing to lie in church. <laughs> you see, I believe worry and anxiety are the result of our struggle to trust especially to trust in God. We struggle with worry in just about every area of our lives. Decisions that we have to make, job opportunities, money, the purpose and direction of our lives, our relationships, our kids, and the list goes on and on and on. Here are some website topics that I found in preparing for today. Check these out. Ten things everyone worries about the most and how to deal with them. Top things people worry the most about. The top five things people worry about and how to solve them. What are people in your country most worried about? The six things Americans worry most about and what Christians worry about most. I, I was worried I would pick the wrong, the wrong website to share with you, so I just thought I'd list them all up here for you this morning and you can go check out for yourself what causes most of us to worry. I did find one website topic that was titled 85% of what we worry about never happens. <laughs> you ever found that to be true? 
500 years ago, a guy named Michael de Montagnier said, my life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Sounds like he spent a lot of wasted time on things that never happened, and oftentimes we do the same, don't we? Years ago, Irma Bombeck published an article entitled, To Parent is to Worry. Any parents in here this morning? Any of you worried? She wrote these words. One of the dumbest pieces of advice ever given to me by my kids is, don't worry. <laughs> Are they crazy? She wrote, that's my job. I've elevated worry to an art form, she said. This means I take something as insignificant as, Mom, I'm staying home on New Year's Eve, so don't worry about me. And I lie awake all night wondering why my son has no social life. If one of them drives an old car, I worry that some night on a dark road, the car will die and someone will tap them on the head with a tire iron. If he buys new wheels, I worry that he's living on a diet of plastic. If he takes a vacation, I worry he can't afford it. If he stays home, I think he'll kill himself with stress. If he changes jobs, I worry he's unstable. If he stays at, at one job too long, I worry that he's in a rut and he'll never get ahead. If he comes home too often, it's probably because he has no friends. If he eats too much, I worry about his cholesterol. And if, he, and if he looks too thin, I worry that he has an eating disorder. He can't afford to buy food. The other night, my husband said to me, Do you realize all three kids are employed and their cars are running? What do you think the odds of this happening? You have nothing to worry about. Fool, she said. How long can that last? She asked. In the portion of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to look at today, Jesus tells us to put our trust, not just a portion of it, but all of our trust, put all of our weight, not, not our physical weight, but the weight of worry and anxiety that we carry on His Father, which is also our Father if we have committed our lives to Him. But oftentimes our struggle to trust God leads to a life of worry and anxiety. You know, nowhere in the Bible does Jesus say, I have come that you might have worry and anxiety and have it more abundantly. <laughs> no, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. The New Living Translation reads, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says three different times, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. A side note here, if I may, for just a second. You know, I often find things that cause me to go, hmm, when I'm, when I'm studying for sermons or preparing to lead a discussion or a Bible study. Do you, do you do that sometimes? You know, we know that Peter denied Jesus three times. And when Jesus reconnected with Peter following his resurrection, how many times did Jesus ask him if he loved him? Three times, didn't he? Three times Jesus says here, do not worry, as he's talking to his followers in this sermon. And how many days was Jesus in the tomb? Three. These words were shared with his disciples as he begins his ministry. Jesus knew what was going to happen down the road, and I wonder if he was just trying to plant a seed for those guys. Makes you think, doesn't it? Many versions use the words do not worry. The English Standard Version uses the phrase do not be anxious. And you know, I think it's important that we understand that there's a difference between being concerned about something and being anxious or worried about something. 
You see, concern has us consider the difficulties that might arise, which then leads to an action to prevent or to work around them. While anxiety and, and worry focus on the improbable, which oftentimes cripples and keeps us from doing anything. Jesus never said, don't be concerned. Matter of fact, he shared in one of his stories, no man goes out to build something without first sitting down and figuring up what it will cost him so that he doesn't get started on something and then is unable to finish. Concern has us take into consideration the possibilities so we can take action if needed. And when Jesus says, don't worry, he's not saying don't lay out plans. Don't buy life insurance for yourself or your family or your home or your car. Don't fasten your seatbelt. Don't wear a helmet when you're on a motorcycle. Don't worry about smoke and carbon monoxide detectors in your home. Sometimes the best way to overcome anxiety and worry is to, is to take action. You worried about your marriage this morning? Go see a counselor. Find one of our staff that you can talk to. You worried about your financial situation? Sit down with someone who can help you create a budget and then help you work through it and give you some accountability. Worried about your kids? Talk to someone who can provide you wisdom. School's about ready to start. Many of you students will soon be concerned about texts, tests, excuse me, and, and projects during the school year. Study more. Prepare more. Spend more time on those projects than you do on your phone or the television. Concern causes us to, to take action. But worry and anxiety causes us to look at the, the improbable and always has us asking, what if? What if the plane crashes? What if I get cancer? What, what if there's a terrorist attack? What, what if they get a divorce? What if I can't find a job? What if? In the Sutphin translation of Matthew 6, Jesus simply says, Stop it. Don't worry. So why are anxiety and worry wrong? I believe they are because they cause us to focus on the wrong thing. They cause us to focus on this world and our present situation. In Luke's recording of, of this section of Scripture, which is found in chapter 12 of his book, Jesus says, those are the things that the pagan world runs after. When we get concerned, so concerned, that it leads us to worry and anxiety with finances instead of storing up treasures in heaven, as Doc talked about a few weeks ago. And when we get so worried about the food that we're going to eat, and when we get so worried about our clothing and how we will look, and when we get so worried about our, our body and do I look good, and when we get so worried about the future and how it's going to play out for us, our focus is not on what it should be. And those are the things that Jesus says the pagan world runs after. You know, 100 years from now, is it going to matter if you're overweight? Is it going to matter if you are or were the most popular person in school? Is it going to matter if you drove a nice car and lived in a home with multiple bathrooms? Is it going to matter if your yard wins awards because there's no crabgrass or weeds growing in it? What's going to matter a hundred years from now and for all eternity is did you love God? Did you love his people? Did you live a life that honored him above all things? Because those are the things that are passed on from generation to generation to generation. Those are the things that are remembered about people after they are gone. 
As Paul encouraged the Christians at Colossae in his letter, so he encourages us today. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated and set your minds on things above and not only earthly things. You know, I believe worry and anxiety are wrong because it's also an exercise in futility. Jesus says in verse 27 of Matthew chapter 6, who of you can add a single hour to your life by worrying? I know I've said it, and I'm sure you have as well. Man, if only I had an extra hour or two in my day. But it doesn't work, does it? John Hagee used to tell the story of a woman who worried for some 30 or 40 years that she was going to die of cancer. Every time she had an ache or a pain, she, she knew that she had cancer. At the age of 73, she died of pneumonia. She spent close to half of her life worrying about the wrong disease. Worry is a waste of our time, and it usually paralyzes our mind and zaps our body of energy. For you see, if those fears never come about, then we have lost that time and energy that we can never get back. William James, a noted doctor, psychologist, and philosopher, said the essence of genius is knowing what to overlook. So we overlook the uncontrollable and the insignificant to avoid wasting our time on issues not worthy of our concern. Who, Jesus said, <coughs> excuse me, can add a single hour to their life by worrying? Can you? Can you? Can you? No, we can't. I know I can't. And I'm not really sure why I would want to add another hour to my day or to my life if all I was going to do was sit around and worry about something. I also believe worry and anxiety are wrong because they are a sign of faithlessness. What does Jesus have to say to us about this? Look at verse 30. He holds nothing back in this chapter as he addresses his followers then and now when he says, Oh, you of little faith. You know what? You're just like the pagans. Wow. You know, this is not the only time that Jesus calls out his disciples with this phrase. Matthew records three other occasions when Jesus says to them, you of little faith. Do you know what worry and anxiety say to our God? It says, I don't believe you. Oswald Chambers said, it is not only wrong to worry, it is infidelity. Because worrying means that we do not think that God can look after the practical details of our lives. Do you believe he can and does? Philippians 4, we read, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. But worry says, I don't believe you will, God. Romans 8, And we know that all things work together for good for those who love him. But worry says, I'm not sure that's true in my life. 1 Corinthians, we read, I will never allow anything to come upon you that will be greater than you can bear. But worry says, I'm not sure I can trust you on that one, God. Philippians, again, we read, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But worry says, you can't do it. You're not strong enough. That mountain, it's too big. Elizabeth Cheney's poem reads, said the robin to the sparrow, 
I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so, said the sparrow to the robin. Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. But we do have one, don't we? We have one, a heavenly father who cares for us more than we could even begin to imagine. So how can we get past our worry and anxiety and learn to trust in God? First, remember that God cares and God provides. Jesus says in verse 26, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet our heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they, he said? You know, sometimes I wonder if we, were, if we forget that we were created by God and that we were created in his image. Of all that was created, we, you and, and me, are the only ones who were created in his image. We were his prized possession. And if he's taking care of the birds of the air, don't you think he'll take care of you and me? You ever go outside in the morning and you see birds pacing back and forth on the tree limb? Oh, I'm wondering if we're going to have any food today. I wonder if there'll be any worms tomorrow. I wonder if there'll be any crickets tomorrow. I'm wondering what we're going to do for food the next. You don't see that, do you? Jesus says, are you not more valuable than they? Verse 28, Jesus says, and why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And yet we labor and toil and worry about how we look and what we will wear. How many of you have gotten up in the morning and said, I have nothing to wear? Now, wait, wait a minute. I'm sure some of you have said that. I live with three women who said that. But... How many of you have ever said it because you had nothing to wear? I mean, nothing to wear. I mean, you were at the point where you were going to have to go out of the house naked. Anybody? I'm glad for that. <laughs> Maybe we need to remind ourselves daily of the shepherd boy David's words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Folks, you can trust him because he does care. And he does provide. Second, maybe we need to change our focus. When worry and anxiety overtake us, it becomes so easy to let that dominate our time and our thoughts. And those become the things that we, that we, that we focus on. So Jesus says to us, instead of being like the pagans who run after those things, who, who focus on those things, let's do this. Let our focus be to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be given to you as well. You know, one of the greatest stories of focus found in the Bible takes place in Matthew's book. It's down in chapter 14. The disciples are out in a boat on the lake. Apparently, Jesus missed the memo that the boat was taking off, so he takes off walking on the water to catch up with them. The guys see him, and they start freaking out because they think he's a ghost. 
Jesus calls out to them, hey, don't be afraid, guys, it's, it's me. Peter, never wanted to miss a chance to do something crazy, calls back, if it's you, Lord, then tell me to come to you on the water. Come on, Jesus said. So out he goes. And you know what he did? He walked on water. The dude walked on water. And why was he able to walk on the water? Because his focus was on Jesus. Now, unfortunately, his walk didn't last long. And why was that? Because his focus changed. Matthew said when Peter began to see the wind and the waves, he became afraid. He got worried. He got nervous. He got anxious. And when he took his focus off of Jesus, what happened? He began to sink. And he hollered out, Lord, save me. And Matthew says that immediately Jesus reached out, caught him. And then Peter heard those infamous words, You of little faith, why? Why did you doubt? I mean, how excited do you think Peter was when he started walking on that water? Do you think he turned to the other disciples in the boat and said, Hey guys, look at me, I'm walking on water. So let me ask you, what's your focus on right now? Are you focused on seeking God's kingdom first and foremost in your life right now? Are you seeking him first every day by spending time with him in prayer and reading his word? Are you seeking him first in regards to your finances? Are you seeking him first and foremost in your relationship with your spouse and your kids? If you're in a dating relationship, is it a God-honoring relationship? Are you seeking him first and foremost by giving him authority over your heart and your mouth? Jesus said, seek first, put your focus on my Father's kingdom and his righteousness. And if you'll do it, then he'll give you all these other things because he cares for you and he'll provide for you. We truly believe, we truly believe it's not just a better way to do life, but that it's the best way to do life. And one final thing, it's important that we learn to live one day at a time. In the moment. In verse 34 of chapter 6, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I hope you notice that Jesus doesn't say, Don't be concerned about anything because you won't have any problems. I mean, he tells us that we're going to have problems. It's life, it's going to happen. I've been asked a number of times recently, how many weddings have you performed in your years as a minister? Honestly, I have no clue. You know, looking back on it now, I wish I would have kept record of all the weddings that I've done. If I had to guess, I would say in my 33 to 35 years of ministry, I've probably done 160, 170, maybe 180 weddings. And you know, in almost every wedding, the bride and groom say these words. To have and to hold from this day forward, for better or worse, for richer or poor, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. If you've been married for any length of time, you've experienced those things, haven't you? You've experienced better or worse, because I'm guessing your spouse did something really stupid <laughs> at some point in time. And I'm guessing that you've experienced richer and poorer as well, due to maybe a job or a financial windfall of some kind. 
And I'm guessing that you've experienced sickness and health in your time together as well. And I know that some of you have experienced the last part of that vow where you said, till death do us part. And that one was tough, wasn't it? But did all of those things keep you from making those statements as a part of your vow on your wedding day? <laughs> did the concern or the worry about those things coming to reality keep you from making those statements on your wedding day? No, they didn't. Because they weren't your focus on that day, were they? You knew they might come along at some point in time, but on that day you were not worried about them, were you? No, you were enjoying the moment that you were in. You were living in that day. And you weren't worried about tomorrow or the next or the next, were you? This is the day, the psalmist wrote, that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I read this quote Thursday morning as I was uh, enjoying a cup of coffee at the house and before heading to the office. Here's what I saw on Twitter. The devil wants you to worry about your future so you can't enjoy the season right now. Let me remind you one final time what Jesus says. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your clothes. Do not worry about what you're going to eat or drink. Do not worry about tomorrow. And why could Jesus say those words? Because he knew what his father had already promised. Look what Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy tells us. The Lord himself goes before you, and he will be with you, and he will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. So do you trust him? Are you willing to let go of that branch that you've been holding on to? Are you ready to trust him with not some of, not just a part of, but with all of your heart? Are you ready to put all of your weight, the weight of worry and anxiety that you've been carrying, that you've been holding on to, onto him? Do it today. Don't carry that burden any longer. He desires to be your place of rest, of peace, of comfort for each and every one of us. For he's the name that is above every name. He's the only name that could save. We're going to stand and sing a song here of worship in just a moment as we get ready for a time of communion. But if God's laid something on your heart, you want somebody to talk to, I'm, I'm down front. Logan's right here as well. We'd love to, to chat with you in these next few moments. Let's stand and let's worship together.